If you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. In just a moment, I'll be reading verses 17 through 26. 17 through 26. Last weekend in our church, we had the privilege of having a missions conference or a missions fair, something that we haven't done in a very long while. And in that, one of our endeavors was for us to see firsthand what some of the different ministries and missionaries, what they do, how they do it, and, and have, <clears throat> excuse me, have, a <clears throat> have a glimpse to be able to see what they experience on the mission field. Because I think it's important for us to, to catch that idea, to catch the idea of missions and, and to experience that. And sometimes it's very difficult for us to do that. You know, it's kind of like experiencing church. We, we come on a Sunday and we, quote, experience church. But is that truly church? You say, well, of course it is. It's, I'm here on Sunday. But is but isn't church more than just Sunday? You know, it's kind of like going to a football game. Now, if you were a Florida fan, you had a successful day yesterday. If you were a Florida State fan, you had a successful day. If you had a Miami fan, you were successful yesterday. So, so, so was those Bulldogs, okay? Now... You go, how many of you have ever been to a game? Okay, most of you, good number of you, okay. Would you say it's different going to a game or than sitting at home and watching it on television? Absolutely, okay. What about if you had the privilege of standing on the field? What about that? Would you, would you do that if you got the opportunity? I don't see many of you answering that one. Oh, okay, there's a couple of y'all would. Okay, all right. Because what? Being on the field would give you what? It would give you a little bit closer experience of what it's taking on. Well, you see, this morning, I want us to see firsthand. You know, it's, it, it, it's good to watch a game. It, it, it's good to even go to a game. But being on the field and being involved is, is totally different. And in church life, we need to see the importance of the mission that is before us. Two weeks ago, I talked about one more person, or who's your one? Who's your one in the sense of reaching one more person? And in our lives, in our, in our Christian lives, we should have a mission, a mandate, to reach one more person for the Lord. In the state of Florida, and I don't know the exact percentage or the exact exact number, but there are millions of people who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so this morning, I want us to think about who would be our one to reach for the Lord, but is that truly our mission, and what would it take for us in the sense of for that to be our mission of reaching one more person. So let's turn to Luke chapter 5 and go down to verse 17. And let me read as follows. On one of those days while he was teaching, 
Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then, someone, just then, some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. Then they tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him in on the stretcher through the roof, through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribe and the Pharisee began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins? But God alone. But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up, before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe, and we have seen incredible things today. This morning, as we think about this passage of Scripture, I want us to think about these men that brought this paralytic man to see Jesus. We could say that this man had a mission, these men had a mission, and this mission drove them to take their friend to see Jesus. What will it take again in this world for us to have such a desire or a mission to take people that we love and take them to the Master? Many of you remember the events of 9 11. 18 years ago, some of our youth don't even remember it. 18 years ago, we had the tragedy in New York City where the planes crashed into that building. After that event, people were back in churches. People were concerned about loss of life. People were concerned about loved ones who didn't know Jesus Christ. And people were praying. Today in our world, we see shootings that take place and shootings that don't make sense. But at the same time, there doesn't seem to be a mission or a desire that people come to know the Lord. These men had a, had a mission. They, they wanted to make sure that their friend saw Jesus. This morning, as we think about that, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but, but most of you, where you work, your work, your business probably has a mission statement. Your work, your place has a mission statement. If it's a school, if it's a regular job at, at a grocery store, whatever it might be, your company has a mission statement. Do you know what Instagram's mission statement is? 
Instagram's mission statement is to capture and share the world's moments. You think about that. To capture and share the world's moments. That's their mission statement. Do you know that Jesus Christ had a mission statement? Has a mission statement? It's recorded in God's Word. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, here's our Lord's mission statement. For the Son of Man has come and to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man seek and to save the lost. Now, I went and looked on our church website. Looked at our purpose statement, our commitment. It's a little longer. But ours says, we are a group of people from many different backgrounds who come together to worship and serve our Lord Jesus Christ. We are united in purpose to go forth as a Christ-centered fellowship, sharing the gospel and uniting together and to meet the spiritual and physical needs of our church and community. Now, as we stop and we think about that statement, what statement did I share with you? I mentioned Instagram, I mentioned Jesus, and I mentioned our churches. What statement drives you to say, you know, Jesus says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. What really drives us? I know some of you are thinking, well, preacher, my car got me here. I, I, I understand that. But what really drives you when it comes to thinking of our spiritual life and our spiritual walk? What drives us in the sense of putting things first for God? Here we had four men who had a friend that was in need. Many times you've called me or you many times have called others and said, look, I've got a friend and they're in need. Would you pray for so-and-so? But what drives us to do that? Sometimes it's because of love, because of compassion, because we just see that someone is hurting and we feel led to do it. When we think that there's millions of people today going to hell, we should see the importance of, of being driven to reach people for Jesus Christ. This past summer, our youth went to youth camp, which they normally do each, each year. But since they've got back, over six of them have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. Over six of them. You see... There needs to be a compassion. There needs to be a mission of of reaching people. Jesus came to give life. He's interested not only in the soul of man, but the body as well. We need to have the mission of caring and reaching for other people. Now, these men had expectations they had the expectation of taking this, their friend to Jesus. And a lot of us many times have that same expectation, but then sometimes things don't work the way, well, they just don't work the way we thought. And sometimes in life, you know, people say, well, I'll help you, but, it, you know, well, that's gotten complicated. I, I don't know if I want to do that. 
You see, these men ran into a situation where, where they got to the place and it was crowded and, and, and they just wasn't going to be able to get in the way you normally would. And sometimes, for some people, that discourages them and they just feel like, well, there's, there's, there's just no way. But, you know, we go back to the, to the Bible and we read about true men and women and the experiences they had and, and we find that Joshua was leading the Israelites into the promised land. Did he have difficulties along the way? Who did he? And we read about Elijah during a time where the word of God or the the name of God wasn't as strong in the sense of the people and Ahab and, and all of their idols seemed to be the prevalent force. And there was Elijah standing up when it wasn't the popular thing to do, but he was standing up for God and proclaimed that the true God would consume the sacrifice. You see, we even now have the advantage looking at the Bible, and we live on the other side of the work of the cross and know that Jesus was victorious over the cross. So what should our expectations be? Last week, we had the privilege of having Dr. Warmington and Dr. Stewart in our church. They blessed our hearts. We got to see a little bit closer last night. They left from New York heading to Casablanca. They are there. Later tonight, they will leave there and go on to Liberia. Can you imagine their thoughts and their prayers? They, I asked them, how long do you think you're going to be in Liberia this time? They said, we're not sure. It's strictly up to God. She said, it could be two years. It could be three. We're just, it's up to God. They have an expectation. Now, They had been asking us to pray for them, and I had even written a little article asking us to pray for them as they travel. You know, traveling can get get discouraging sometimes. Traveling can get frustrating sometimes. They are right now in a 14-hour layover. They knew this going in. They knew this going in, but do you imagine 14 hours in an airport that you're not familiar with? What could go wrong there? But you see, at the same time, their expectations and their faith in God has led them to a point that no matter what takes place, they know God will lead them. Now, I know yesterday after all the football games, a lot of people were relieved and thankful that their team won and you know, and, and, for, and for some it was easy, and for, I'm talking about the games themselves, some, some of the games were easy, some were hard, but there were certain expectations. What about our expectations? I'm talking about expectations of, of others coming to know Jesus Christ. How is that going to happen? How are more people going to come to know Jesus Christ? You say, well, that's the preacher's job, that's the staff's job. No, that is our job. As a church, as believers in Jesus Christ, and do we have expectations? Because, you know, in the mission field, and many of you have been on the mission field or have gone on a mission trip, and even though we spend a lot of time planning what we're going to do here and what we're going to do there and what we're going to do then, it doesn't always go by the plan, does it? No. That's like teaching 
at our local high school or middle school. You have your lesson plans laid out. You've got all that, but it doesn't always go according to plan, does it? But what do we do? Just we throw up our hands and say, well, I tried. Well, what if these four friends had done that? Well, we got him to the door. We just couldn't get in. We left him on the side of the street. We guess he's okay. Can you imagine that? Oh, I can. Well, we tried. Well, that should count for something. But you see, in life, we're going to run into those obstacles, and we're going to run into those roadblocks, and we're going to have resistance. So what did these guys do? Now, they, some would say in modern terms, they thought outside of the box. Now, I even think of that today. (laughs) If it was your house, (laughs) if it was your house, and all of a sudden stuff comes falling in, and there are four men lowering a guy down, what would you say? (laughs) Can you imagine? What in the world are you doing? You've taken my roof off. To lower, don't drop him, you're killing. Not realizing we've got the one that's going to heal him there anyhow, but you know, forget that. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in all those things that, well, no, you can't do that. You're going to put a what? In the roof? No. But you know, sometimes we settle for the mundane things when Jesus wants us to do the miraculous things. And he provides, doesn't he? He shows us that the greatest need in a person's life is their heart to be changed, and he is the one that can change it. We need to see the importance of of, of trusting him. These men, yeah, they got into a little bit more than they had planned, but they stayed with it. We need to trust in our Lord. We sing about it, but we need to trust in him. We need to trust in him and realize what he has done for us. Some of us here this morning, are here, we are here because maybe a Sunday school teacher through the years has been faithful to, to prepare their lesson even when they thought no one was listening and they prepared the lesson and they shared week after week. And because of that, you came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Or some of you are here where you are today because you've had parents who've never stopped praying for you, parents that have brought you to church even though when you were whining that you didn't want to come. Because you had people in your life that trusted their role that God had given them. And that role was to raise their children and the admonition of the Lord. And they did it. And because of that, you're here today. Think about what Jesus wants to do. How he wants to transform your life. Some of you are sitting here today and you can tell me exactly what the Lord has done. Because he has transformed your life. What are, what are we willing to do in the name of the Lord of reaching one more person for him? We talk about this phrase, 
fishing for men, fishing for souls. Now, if we want to talk about fishing, fishing, I'm sure a lot of you can tell me more about that than I know. But let me read you a story. I think you will relate to this. I think it puts it all in perspective. It came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes that were filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish. The abundance of fish and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means. Defended fishing as an occupation and declared that fishing is always to be the primary task of fishermen. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing, and for new and better definitions of fishing. They created witty slogans and displayed them on big, beautiful banners. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they did not fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. The board hired staff appointed committees, held meetings to define fishing, to define fishing and decide what new stream should be thought about, but the staff and committee members did not fish. Large and elaborate and expensive training centers were built whose, whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on the need of fish the offered on the needs of fish, the nature of fish, where to find fish, the psychological reaction of fish, and how to approach and to feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology. But the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, after tenuous training, many graduated and were given fishing license. And they were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters, which were filled with fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded, and they were commissioned and sent to fish. But like the fishermen back home, they never fished. They engaged in all kinds of other occupations. Some felt their job was related to the fish in a good way. So the fish would know the difference between good and bad fishermen. Others felt that simply letting the fish know that they were nice, land-loving neighbors, 
and how loving and kind they were was enough. Now it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some, believe this, lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen's clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen yet never fished. Imagine how hurt some were one day when a person suggested that those who don't fish were not really fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if, year after year, he never fishes? More plainly stated, is one really following if he isn't fishing? It's time to start casting our nets. Who's the one you're going to go after? Who's your one? Now, I can relate to that. As Preston says, I've been in ministry almost as long as Moses. I've seen conventions. I've seen fishing headquarter buildings. I've seen board meetings, experienced board meetings, committee meetings. We're good Baptists. We can talk anything to death. But it goes back. Are we fishing? Are we reaching people for Jesus Christ? These four men had a compassion for their friend who was in need. I pray that we would have that compassion again. That we would look at people in a way that when we look at them, that lostness jumps out at us. And almost to the point that it would haunt us. Because we should have the mission, the the drive to bring them to the one that can change their life. I pray that we would develop that type of mission, that desire to say, preacher, we got to do something. Because we've got people dying and going to hell. Have a compassion for people. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this message. We pray, Lord, that we would have that compassion for those, Lord, that need you. Lord, yes, they brought their friend who couldn't walk. Lord, we have friends today who are struggling. And Lord, show us what we need to do. We, how we need to bring that one to you. How we need to bring others to you. Lord, use us. But Lord, may we be prepared to carry the person or persons you lead us to all the way to you. Lord, help us today as we process this message, as we allow you to speak to us, 
in your spirit. Lord, we just thank you in your son's name. Amen.